this morning, I'm going to share with you out of the book of Genesis, and in doing so, we're going to look at chapter 28. In Genesis 28, it, it tells us about an interesting season in the life of one of the patriarchs, Jacob. And, and, and Jacob, up until this point, has lived an interesting life. He's on the run because of a lot of self-induced heartache, because of the actions that he has undertaken. And in, in Genesis 28, his life is interrupted by God. And in doing so, what it spurs on is transformation that won't just impact him, but impact the generations that come from him. And I thought, man, no better a chapter in all of the Bible to preach on on Baptism Sunday than Genesis 28. A God who interrupts us in the midst of our wayward living and in doing so doesn't just transform us, but everything that proceeds from us. In Genesis 28, starting in verse 10, the Bible says this, Now Jacob, he had left Beersheba, and he had set out for Haran. Let me give you the context today. Jacob, he, he has just stolen his older brother's birthright. He has taken his father's inheritance. He is now left home to go marry himself a set of sisters by the names of Leah and Rachel. And Jacob got the blessing. He got the money. He got the women. He got the influence and the prestige. Did he have to lie, cheat, and steal his way into that position? Absolutely. But here Jacob is. He got what he wanted. Yet he is still left with an empty soul. Look around today. Nothing has changed. People got everything the world has to offer, but they're still empty inside. The rich and famous are still depressed and hopeless. Hollywood celebrities still take their own lives. Tech moguls lose their marriages. Influencers lose their minds. And it has never been more evident that folks have gained the world and yet lost their own soul. Culture says if you just have more, if you just had another sexual encounter, if you just had more money, if you just had a better house and a nice car, a right job and the right relationship, if you just had the right relationship or platform, then you will have finally arrived. The woman at the well thought if I just had another marriage, the rich young ruler thought if I just had another paycheck. Lot's wife thought if I could just take one more look. And yet the scriptures declare the opposite. The world and its desires are passing away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. And isn't this what is so striking about the story of King Solomon? Near the end of his life, he finds himself as history's richest man. Scholars say that if you were to add up his wealth in modern terms, he would have been worth $2.2 trillion as an individual. You thought one wife was enough? He had 700. And on top of that, 300 concubines, thousands of servants. He rules over the kingdom of Israel. And yet he declares in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's meaningless. 
utterly meaningless. Everything that I have amassed, it is meaningless. I can't imagine anything more tragic than checking all the right boxes and making all the right money, confessing all the right cultural creeds, using all the right pronouns, attaining social status, climbing the ladder of influence, reaching the end of it, only to find yourself more empty than you were before. See, consumerism has taught us that the answer to all of life's questions is found in just having more. But friend, just having more of the same stuff you already got doesn't change the spiritual composition of your heart. You don't need more stuff, you need the right stuff. You don't need more friends, you need the right friends. You don't need more opportunities, you need the right opportunities. You don't need more things to do, you need the right things to do. And here Jacob finds himself in Genesis 28, running from the problem he created because of his own insatiable lust for more. God isn't against your abundance. No, I believe in prosperity. I believe in blessing. I believe in resources. But until you have the right spirit, the more that you have been praying for, it'll crush you instead of bless you. Watch the apostolic prayer of 3 John 1. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health even as your soul prospers. See, the world says get your exterior to prosper first because that's what everyone sees. And once you've convinced the world of your success, if you got any energy left, maybe spend a little bit of time on your soul. But the scriptures say, if your soul prospers, your life will follow. Oh, it's true, man looks on the outside, but it is God who looks at the heart. And if your interior life is good, and your spirit is healthy, and your soul is prosperous, then you, as a person, become a container and a conduit for all that God desires to do. See, God is working on the container of your soul. So that what he already desires to give you, it'll work for your benefit, not for your downfall. See, instead of Jacob waiting for his father to bless him with what was already freely his, he took by deceit what he was destined to receive by inheritance. And in doing so, created heartache and trauma for years to come. See, friend, a blessing before the reception is working on the container of your soul. When he reached a, a certain place, Jacob stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and, and he lay down to sleep. And, and as he slept, he, he had a dream. And in that dream, he saw a stairway or a ladder and it was resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God, they was ascending and descending on it. Then above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. 
I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants, they will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, the east, the north, and the south. All peoples of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to do. In 1799, an English artist by the name of William Blake, he was commissioned to paint this scene from Genesis 28. It would later go on to become one of his most famous works. Today, it, it hangs in the British Museum of Art in, in, in London, England. Now, I don't know exactly how it looked or exactly how it happened, but, but Jacob is running. He's got money. He's got women. He's got family drama all on his mind. He is so tired, he takes the stone, turns it into a pillow, lays his head down, and falls asleep. You know, the reason why God speaks to us in dreams is because for so many of us, it's about the only time that we ever shut up. So God takes the opportunity to open the eyes of Jacob's spirit to see heaven's reality all around him. And you know why the reason is why God shows Jacob a picture of heaven? Because when you see the eternal, it helps properly order the temporary. I'd venture to say that you saw the eternal this morning in baptisms. I'd venture to say that you're gonna see the eternal on Easter when hundreds give their lives to Christ. When you catch a glimpse of eternity, it gives you context for the temporary. See, right now, whether you're aware of it or not, there's a ladder that exists by virtue of your faith in Christ. It goes with you wherever you go. It gives you access at any given moment in time to receive help in your time of need. There is more spiritual activity happening within and around you than you will ever even be aware of. But today, if you could open your eyes, you would see the invitation that I have from God to operate as his son or as his daughter. No, it isn't just a 65-minute window on a Sunday morning. It's a ladder that springs up from inside of me wherever I go. Why is there a ladder? Because God is trying to get to you. Why is there a ladder? Because heaven is trying to come to earth. Why is there a ladder? Because nothing can separate us from the love of God. Oh, I know you feel far, Jacob. I know you feel disqualified, Jacob. I know you feel distant, Jacob, but God's got a stairwell. It's connected to your heart and he ain't letting you go until he makes a nation out of you. Now I want you to see the fivefold promise of God to Jacob in this dream. Number one, I will give you land. Number two, I will give you children. Number three, I will bring you back. Number four, I will watch your life. 
And number five, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to do. Watch this. With every promise that God makes to Jacob, he is dismantling a lie that Jacob has believed. See, Jacob tries to establish his own inheritance. Instead, God says, I will give you land. Jacob tries to develop his own legacy. Instead, God says, I will give you children. And Jacob tries to protect himself by running away. God says, I will watch your life and I will bring you back. Jacob, I am your supply. Jacob, I am your inheritance. I am your strong tower. I am your provider. What you have attempted to manufacture yourself, it's made a mess out of your life. But now let me step into your story and watch what I'll do on your behalf. And here's what I love. In this entire prophetic encounter that Jacob has with the Lord, the only responsibility he has comes from verse 14. You will spread out. You'll go to the west and the east. You'll go to the north and the south. I'll cause your offspring to bless the nations. Here's all of what I will do for you, Jacob. But here's your responsibility to me. You will spread out. What's your responsibility pursuit? Spread out. Because if the container of our soul or the container of our church, or the container of our mindset becomes too narrow, it will cause us to miss the offspring that God is sending our direction. Oh, I thought my vision was only for two campuses, but God says, I'll give you more if you spread out. Oh God, I, I thought my vision was just for one business or for five employees or, or for one child or, or for this just little subset of influence. But if you will spread out, if you will expand your tent pegs, if you will dare to believe God at his word, if you will trust him with your future, if you will just take the prophetic step of faith to spread out, watch the supply I'll send on your behalf. See, so often for us, the way that we communicate with God is that God, if you'll send the resource, if you'll send the seed, if you'll send the blessing, if you'll send the miracle, then in response to what you send, I will spread out in the way that you have asked me. But what if spreading out is the necessary step of faith that triggers the covenantal blessings that God desires to pour out? What if some of the things that we're asking for this morning, God so desires to give us, but the container of our soul is simply too small? It reminds me of the widow who's only got a little drop of oil. And Elisha the prophet says, well, go borrow vessels from every neighbor you've got. Why? Because what God's about to do is exceedingly, abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. He's got enough oil to fill one vessel and the next vessel and the vessel after that. And in fact, he's got enough abundance to fill every vessel in every house all across this community. But it is incumbent on the people of God to first spread out. Oh, I, I got to take a step out of the boat 
to see the miracle happen underneath my feet? Yes. I got to trust God with the five loaves and two fishes in order for him to feed the 5,000? Yes. I got to go wash in the river to see my miracle transpire? Yes. I got to stretch forth my hand and in doing so see healing come to my life? Yes. The miracle is waiting on the obedience of God's people to spread out. I know we in Snohomish and now we in Seattle, but I'm just foolish enough to believe that God will open a door no man can close on the east side, in the Tri-Cities, up in Bellingham, out in Spokane. I'm just foolish enough to believe that if we will spread out, God in response will send his abundance. It's interesting what Jacob sees on the ladder. He sees angels ascending and descending. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 1, angels serve the people that God saves. The Bible says in Daniel 10, angels help wage spiritual warfare. The Bible says in Luke 1, angels deliver messages from above. Which tells me this, whether you believe in them or not, they are working on your behalf and some of you are testing their patience. <laughs> you know, so often in the West, the way that we process spiritual things is through our five senses. If I can't see it, if I can't smell it, if I can't sense it, if I can't feel it, it must not exist. But there's an entire spiritual realm that most of us live our entire lives completely ignorant of. And one day you will get to heaven and figure out how much you relied on angelic beings bailing you out of all of the stupid decisions you've made. How many times God sent people, God sent resources, God sent messages, God sent salvation, God sent ways of escape. You weren't even aware of it. You just thought it was your own ingenuity. You just thought it was your own character. You just thought it was your own wit and your own charm. No, God in the fullness of time sent a message through an angel, it ended up on your doorstep, and all of a sudden a miracle transpired. You thought it was natural, it was supernatural. You thought it was normal, it was spiritual. It was a God who does not sleep, nor does he slumber, working on your behalf. And I love the idea that God works in dreams. The idea that even when I'm not thinking about him, he's thinking about me. I was checked out. I was sleeping. I had a full belly. I was tired. The last thing that I was thinking about was him. But I have always been on his mind. Verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And, and, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid. He said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. I know y'all don't remember what I preached last week, but is not this the same feedback of the disciples in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus? Surely that was Jesus, and we didn't even know it. <laughs> and I love the response of Jacob. This is awesome. It is both a house and a gate. It is a house where his presence dwells, and it is a gate that grants me access. You know that this church 
It is the house of God. It is a place where his presence dwells. You go get blessed just by virtue of sitting in this room. But you got to understand that in this house, there are doors or there are gates. And when you have the tenacity and the faith to open those doors, you go from sitting in the house to exploring the house. You go from sitting in the house to serving in the house. You go from being a byproduct or an observer of the kingdom of God to an active participant in the things of God. It is not just a place where he dwells. It is a place by which he gives access access to God's people who have the tenacity to knock on all the doors around them. Now watch, the scriptures say, in the Father's house there are many rooms. And what designates a room as separate and distinct from the rest of the house? Well, usually it's got a door that serves as an access point. In many ways, I've invited you into the living room which is called Sunday morning attendance. But Fred, now it's time to start opening some of the doors. I think people oftentimes they get bored in their faith or they get bored in church. And most often it is as a result of just soaking and sitting, but never crossing the threshold to involvement and serving. And part of the way that we develop ownership in our world is that we have skin in the game. Hey, this isn't just the place that I stop by when I've got nothing else better to do. No, th this is the house of God and I'm a living stone in the house of God, which means that I've got a living responsibility in the house of God. I love that Russell's invited me into the living room, but it's my house too. So I see a door called servant. Let me knock on that and see what waits for me on the other side. I see a door called tithing. Let me knock on that and see what waits on the other side. I see a door that is called evangelism. Let me knock on that and see what's on the other side. I'm not just content to soak in an atmosphere that somebody else is stewarding on my behalf. I'm going to open every door in this house and explore it until my life becomes full. David says, swing wide, you ancient gates, and open up, you ancient doors, and in doing so, let the king of glory come in. Who is this king of glory? He is both mighty and he is strong in battle. Are we in the house? Yup. But there's some gates that for many of us, we have not yet dared to knock on, but today is your day. Now, early the next morning, the Bible says Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar or a memorial stone or an altar and he poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, which means house of God. It's interesting, the former name of this city was Lowell's, L-U-Z. It's a word in the original language that means separation. Jacob has an encounter and renames the city. There is therefore now no separation between me and God. He has made this place 
his resting place. Oh, I know what people said. It's dry. I know what people said. It's a mission field. I know what they said about the Northwest. It's hard for a spirit-filled church to gain traction, but we are changing the name of the region. We will no longer be known as those who are separated from God because of sin and degradation. No, this is a place where his presence rests. It's the house of God. I want you to see what's happening here because I think it's more important than many of us realize. Jacob isn't just taking any ordinary stone. He takes the one that he had placed under his head, the one that he had used as a pillow, the one that he had went to sleep on, and he took that stone which represented this dream and he set it up as a pillar under this God and he poured oil on it and he said this place will now go by the name of Bethel for it will be the house of God. Now watch, Jacob takes his pillow and he sets it up as a pillar and he says from now on, Everyone who walks by this dream will know this is a place and a person who has met with God. And the only thing that God does when you give him your dreams is he presses them down and he shakes them together and he causes them to overflow. And for many of us, we have lived with the fear that if I trust God with my deeply held dreams and desires, he will ask me to do the opposite. But can I tell you, the longer that I walk with the Lord, the more I realize that the reason I have these deeply held desires is because he planted them there in the first place. And what he has been asking for is for me to rededicate back to him what belonged in his heart in the first place. And when you do, your pillow becomes a pillar and God takes his spirit and animates your dreams and all of a sudden it causes it to come alive in ways that it had never lived before and I love this in the Old Testament the elders would set up pillars as memorial stones so that when their children would walk by they would ask why is that altar there why is that memorial stone there and it would serve as a testimony of what God did in that place. And here would be my hope for the people in this church. When the next generation walks by the fulfillment of your dream, the altar that they would see would cause them to marvel at God's greatness, not yours. Sometimes when I daydream about this church, I I try to hit the fast forward button in my mind 30, 40, 50 years and think about the conversations I'll have with my kids and, and my grandkids. Hey dad, I, I was flipping through an old phone of yours the other day. I saw these pictures from when you and mom was real young and it looks to be the year 2022. He was marching in the streets of Seattle 
with banners and signs and, and lights and flags. Hey, what was that all about? And let me tell you the story of when heaven came to earth and a ladder was constructed in the Northwest. Hey, Grandpa, I was looking through your closet the other day. I seen this vintage sweatshirt and it says the phrase, revival or we die. Hey, what was that all about? Oh, hey, come over here. Hey, come close. Hey, let me tell you a story of a time when the glory of God kissed the earth, when young men and young women began to call on his name, when a city was revived. To tell you the truth, I don't even remember the names of the folks who were there, but I'll never forget what God did in those moments. Yeah, I've had this experience now several times ministering around the nation and to be honest we get hundreds of invites today and we turn down about 95% of them why because it is my conviction I'm not gonna run around the world blessing everybody else's house when my mandate is to build this one anyways I've had this experience at times going to conferences, preaching, meeting people who talk about me to me, not knowing it's me. Like I'll be in the back grabbing a water, getting ready to go on stage and some intern will walk in the green room. They'll say, oh, hey, are you new here? Is this your first time? Are you visiting? Oh man, glad to have you, dude. Conference is gonna be crazy. I heard we got this dude from the Northwest. I heard they're having revival in a place like Seattle. Man, I'm so stoked to be here tonight. I couldn't tell you his name. I don't even know what he looks like. But man, I'm ready to receive from that anointing this evening. And every time that experience happens, I think to myself, my God, it's working. It's working. The fame of what God is doing is eclipsing the personalities of the people who are involved so that when the next generation walks by, they don't say, oh man, how about Russell? Wasn't his gift so great? Didn't he have an ability to preach and lead? They go, I can't remember his name. I couldn't tell you what he looked like, but I can tell you the stories that came out of that region. That was an old that spoke to the time where heaven came to earth. Hear me. We are not building a church. We're building an altar. We're not building an online ministry. We're building an altar. We're not building an app. We are building an altar so that in a hundred years, People still talk about the great things that our God has done. And I would implore you today, by the mercy of God, take your pillows that represent your dreams, set them up as a pillar, an altar unto God. Allow the anointing of his spirit to baptize you from the top of your head 
to the bottom of your feet and then take a step back and watch what our God will do. It's emblematic of the final scene before the throne of God that the Apostle John sees in the book of Revelation. He says, I see 24 elders and they're before the throne and they cry out day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and, and is and, and is to come. And every time they bow in reverence before the throne, the Bible says they lay their crowns at his feet. And every time that they get back up, they discover another crown has been placed on their head. Can't you see the brilliance and beauty of trusting God with the dreams and the desires of your heart? Every time you lay them at his feet, every time you offer them in worship and reverence, every time you lay them down again and say, not my way, but your way, not my will, but your will, not my kingdom, but your kingdom. Every time you do, by the time that you get back up, you find a crown in even greater glory placed on your head and for the rest of eternity. That transactional experience will happen a billion different times. And every time you trust God with your pillow, it is set up as a pillar. And in doing so, God does exceedingly, abundantly more that you could ask or think. Trust Him with your family. Trust Him with your future. Trust Him with your finances. Trust Him with the yet unfulfilled promises in your heart. God has not put them there to frustrate you, but instead to drive you up the ladder to His throne room to receive grace and mercy in your time of need. Let us be that type of church and let us be that type of people. No matter how big we grow, no matter how many buildings we buy, no matter how many cities we pop up in, we are the first to the cross. We are the first to the throne room to give back to God what he has entrusted to us and in doing so may our dream be eclipsed by his may our brand be eclipsed by his may our personalities and talents be eclipsed by his until the nations don't know our name, but they bow in reverence to his. That's what we're building. That's why we crucify celebrity Christianity. That's why we run in the opposite direction of believing that we are somehow self-made. No, we're just a group of individuals who walked by the last generation's altar and said, God, would you do it for us? God, would you be faithful to us? I know you did it for Abraham. I know you did it for Isaac. I know you did it for Jacob, but we have been engrafted in to the 
root of Jesse. So God, would you do it for us? I know you did it in Reading. I know you did it in Brownsville. I know you did it in Toronto. I know you did it at Azusa Street. I know you did it for City Church. I know you did it for others. But God, would you do it for us? This isn't our church, it's his. This isn't our dream, it's his. I'm just a young man who walked by somebody else's altar and got possessed by a spirit to ask that God would do it for us. Oh, this life is a vapor. Oh, this church is a vapor. Oh, there will come a time where this building is reduced to rubble. But when the next generation walks by 265 Pine with the anointing that is still in this ground, prophesy to the graveyard of their heart that the God that we serve is still resurrecting dreams and dreamers unto new life. Friend, this is who we are. This is the type of God that we serve. Take my pillow and turn it in to your pillar. And together, let's see the dream of God rapture a region into glory and awakening. Come on, let me pray. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we reaffirm our trust in you. God, we ain't building for us. God, we're not just trying to establish our own dreams and our own brand and our own platform. This is for your glory and your honor. God, put me anywhere. Just put your glory in me. I'll serve anywhere. Just let me see your beauty. God will be whatever you ask. Just use our sacrifice as a memorial stone that prophesies the goodness of God to the next generation. And God, may your ladder be constructed in this place that this would be a house and that this would be a gate. We'll give you all the praise, the honor, the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.